Okay, I'm going to read in Matthew 19, verse 1. It says this, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. That's amazing. What a picture, huh? Great multitudes followed him. In other words, they went where he was, and when they did, he healed them. Here's verse 3. And the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Those are the two things that were very interesting that God was bringing out to me in my personal counsel session with him this morning. Is there, there are a group of people there's a group of people, and his desire is to heal all, to heal them. But then there's always those that tempt him. And really here, tempting him, it just meant, it just meant that they doubted him. They disbelieved him. And it's not, that, it's not that they didn't believe who he was, I think, in that sense. It's just that they refused him. Because when it says... It says in John 1.10, it says he came into the world, right, the mass of humanity, right? And the world at that particular time is under Satan in John 12.31 and 14.30. The whole world's functioning under, whether they know it or not. Whether they believe in a devil or not, they're all functioning under him. And then it says, so it says when he came, he came into the world in John 1.10, this, this, every human being functioning under Satan. And it says the world knew him not. They didn't know him. They, he, they, they looked at him and went, hmm. Partly because uh, also, and, and towards Israel too, Isaiah 53 and verse 2, there was no outward form or outward beauty in him, in Christ, that would attract them to him. They just thought he was just like any other person, you know. And but John 1:11 says he came unto his own. And when it says his own, Jesus was born as a Jew to J- Jewish parents. But of course, really he was born from God, wasn't he? In Luke 1:35 and John 1 and verse 14. He was born from God, but he had Jewish parents. And so in that sense, he wanted to belong. He wanted to belong. And, and so it says, and his humanity, you know, he, he didn't have a sin nature, but he had a human nature. But he wanted to belong. He wanted to, to feel like, you know, just be accepted and belong. So when it says in John 1.11, it says he came unto his own. And the King James says, and his own received them not. The Greek brings it out. They rejected him. And that was, that especially the highest rejection of God in Christ, the highest rejection of God in Christ is religious pride. Terrible, terrible. But he still, but it says in, in one twelve. but and separated from that, as many as would receive him, believe in him, receive in him, see in him that, that, it's, that everything is in him. But as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power. Power, there's the authority and right, it says, to become the sons of God. Even to them that would, what? It says, believe on his name. Name speaks of nature, his nature, his person, and the work that he accomplished. That's the Pharisees. They came, it says, also tempting him. Now, that was evil, what they were doing, right? Tempting him. Their unbelief and their doubt was evil. They were just functioning in that way. They were, temp- they were tempting him. Now we know in, in James 1 and verse 13, God does not tempt any, God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither he tempts any man. We know that we're all drawn away by our own lusts and enticed because that's, what, that's where the source of it comes from, this tempting him. And saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now what they're doing here, 
here is what Jesus refers to, and he refers back to the word in Deuteronomy, the 24th chapter, and it's specifically those first four verses. That a man could put away his wife, it says, for, for uncleanness, sexual impurity or whatever, that he could do that. And it goes into a whole list of things. And so that's where they're, they're trying to take the word <laughs> that Christ says and tempt him. <laughs> and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, now he's going back here to Genesis, the first chapter and the second chapter, specifically also in Genesis 2 and verse 7, when he created man from the dust of the ground, formed his body and breathed into him the breath of lives, the reproductive capacity. And because out of him he took the woman. He took out of man, ish there, man, Adam, man, ish, and he took Isha out of him. I think it's very interesting. I just want to pause one second and just think. I thought this morning, before I even came down early, very early this morning, before I came down, I thought, hmm. Now the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 25, he said, my soul, my self-conscious capacity is cleaving to the dust. Quicken me, enliven me, give me life according to your word. See, that's where our life comes from. Now, where was man's body formed? Genesis 2, 7. I, I want us to take a moment this morning, and, and, and I'm just asking you to do just what I did this morning. I want you to look around at every single thing you see in this room. I want us to look outside. I want us to look, if you have jewelry, like some of us have, if you have jewelry, I want you to look at every single thing that you see. And do you know where it came from? The dust of the ground. Even our bodies. You see, that's what the enemy wants us to get occupied with. All of this. So when that happens, our counsel, we have beautiful counsel in Psalm 119, verse 25, quicken me according to your, enliven me, give me life, because is life in these things? Is life in any of those things? Is our life the details? The things that cause us to get concerned, and we all do, I'm just saying that, there's not any accusation, there's not condemnation in a word this morning. Is God as my, there's not. It's not. But we all do it. We all worry about these things. But is there any life in it? There's no life in it. There's no life in it. <clears throat> you know, it's been said, it's been said, and it's been said many times, that we're to follow God, we're to follow Christ and not man. We're not to follow, follow a man. No, and I suggest that you don't. <laughs> That's my suggestion, that you don't. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, he made it crystal clear. He said, follow me as I follow what? Who? Christ. So there are men that we are to follow, and, they were, they're, they're, and the Bible makes it crystal clear. I don't know how to make it any more clearer than this, honestly. That God has given us, in Hebrews 13, 17, he has given all of us guides. Now those guides in themselves are not perfect. They're not. They're not perfect. I've said this before. I, I, I've said it before. Uh, of course, who wouldn't want Christ as their, their pastor teacher? Because really he's the one shepherd in, in Ecclesiastes 12, 11. He is the one shepherd that flows through those that are under shepherds when those shepherds in, in Ephesians 4, 8 are attached to him as their head. And then the life flows from the head through him who's part of the body to the body. And that's made clear in, in uh, Ephesians 4, 8 to 11. 
But God has given us guides. So let's think it. Now, other than Christ, okay, who, who would you want to be your pastor teacher? I mean, if I do, so for me, I'm just giving you my, I'm, I'm just being, <laughs> putting everything out there in a very personal way. In the old covenant, you know, I mean, in kingdom teaching, if it's out of the 11, I would want, for me, for me, I would want John, the beloved apostle, because he brought out things about Christ in his, in his gospel, the Holy Spirit through him in his gospel, and all his epistles, those first three, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, plus his, his uh, incredible, incredible, amazing, amazing gospel of John. I would like him during that time. But in this, in this church time where we're in right now, in this place where we are, see the church is, is a place. Some, I, I, I saw online, I've seen this a couple of times. I don't get on Facebook a lot. I really don't. But I've seen it. And I get amazed by this in one sense. But I've seen people Say amen or yes to this if you believe this. Church or no church, your most important thing is your relationship with God. And I've seen people put, yes, 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 amen. And I, <laughs> for the life of me, never understood that. I never understood those things. What do you mean, church? And You are the church. What do you mean by that? See, it's just a lack of... And we all can have this lack, every one of us, but it's just a lack of proper understanding of Christ because we are his church. What do you mean church or no church? What is that supposed to mean? It doesn't mean anything. But getting back to this, I would have loved to have, at least I think as much as I can read, the Apostle Paul to be my teacher. Wouldn't you? Would you? If you read the epistles, wouldn't you? In one sense, those church, those amazing things, wouldn't you want him to be? And you know who he was, right? Who was still their guide. Did you know the Bible makes it clear, and he makes it clear about himself. And we do have godly men over us, by the way. We don't follow man, but we do have godly men. They are our guides. I want to make this crystal clear. You have to be very careful where you get your counsel from. When you speak and when you shouldn't speak. This is true for all of us. You have to be very careful about that. Because in Hebrews 13, 17, God has given us guides. He has. I don't know. If I read the Apostle Paul, he will tell you himself he wasn't perfect. And again, this is not making an excuse for anything, and neither did Paul, neither, neither am I. For flesh, for the flesh, for legalism, no. Nope. No, I'm not talking about that. No, making it. No excuse for sin. How many times have you ever heard me say that? There's no, for me personally, there's no excuse for sin, and there's no excusing it, <laughs> but dealing with it. Right? Now that takes a personal relationship with God. It does. But we have guides. And the Bible makes it clear. And I just, I just want to read this. I want to read this here in Hebrews 13. And I'm going to show you the difference in both cases. Now in Hebrews 13, it says in verse 7, it says, remember them which have, which have the rule. Rule here is guide. That's what it says. Remember them which have, which are your guides. That's the way it should read. That are your guides. And what does it say? Over you. Now, are they over you? <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Well, they're over you in the sense that they are under Christ, the chief shepherd. John 10, 11 and 14 say that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, when he says I am, he's going way back to Exodus 3 and verse 14. He's the great I am. God speaking to Moses was speaking through his son. He wasn't speaking to him through a legal covenant in Exodus 23 to 17. And we'll see that this morning uh, very, very clearly and what that means. But here it says, remember them. And look that word up. 
Remember them. Remember them. That are your guides. Remember them. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. Whose faith. And what does faith always mean? It's dependence upon who? Christ and his word. Christ and his word. Will there be failure in any of those? Watch. This is why we need to be very careful about what we communicate and when we communicate it. Remember them that, have, that are your guides who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. You see that? That simply means for all of us in our relationships with each other. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, we're not to know no man after the flesh. We're not to treat one another after the flesh. Does it need to be corrected in all of us? Does it? Well, how does God do that? Well, he does it through his word. But how does he do that? He does it through these guides that he raised up. And are they perfect in their growth? Are they? Never. You know, again, I say this, and it's, it's the, sa the safest thing for all of us. And, and, and it bears constant repeating to all of us. The safest thing that we can do, okay? The safest thing that we can do is that if I have an issue with an individual, I say it again, who's the first one that I should go to? Tell me who else I should go to if I have an issue with somebody. Who's the first pe person that I should go to? Then who? Anyone else? Because if I do, if I do that, or if someone else interprets preaching, the teaching that's going on, and makes a comment, a certain comment about what, what people should do based upon that. That's a person speaking out of place. I'm, I'm telling you that's the truth. I'm telling you that's the truth. That's not being said to cover me or anybody in the flesh. Never, never that. Never, never, never. Ever, ever that. Never. Remember them that are your guides who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, dependence on Christ, considering the end of their lifestyle. Now, when it spoke that, what it's, what it's saying there is, at one particular time, listen, this is very key, this is very key. There are ones that, for instance, that have taught me in my life. I'll just be honest with you. The, the pastors that have affected me in my life, they weren't even in this century. I'm just being honest with you. The minimal, very minimal amount, one individual, minimally, and that's the truth. I'm just being honest. But most of them were taken home to be with the Lord. There's a reason that God will take them home. Obviously, when their work is done, when God is done doing in them what he needed to do in them and through them as guides. I'm talking about the, these men, these guides here. For our time right now, the guides that we have are in Ephesians 4.11. They're pastors and teachers. That's who they are. That's who they are. Now, here. He would take them home. These are men that have gone home to be with the Lord. That's how you read Hebrews 13, 7. He's taken them home to be with the Lord. A lot of times, many times, God had to take them home. First and foremost, because he wanted them for himself because he loved them and their time was up and the work that he was doing through them. But others were looking to that individual more than Christ. And he took them home because of that. And I know that because I've studied it thoroughly. <clears throat> not that I'm not weak. Not that I'm not, that I'm not frail, not that I don't struggle. This morning, I just want to be very honest and very transparent, very vulnerable, just put it out there. But now what we have today is Hebrews 13, 17. Those are the ones that are alive. And that's the difference. You, you listen, you can study and I can study and receive all from these men 
that aren't here anymore. But the ones that God does have, he has for us in the place where we are. It's the truth. <laughs> and here it says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that are your guides over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls. They watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief because that would have been unprofitable for you. That would have been profitable. We're not to be men pleasers in any sense of the word. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, Ephesians 6, 6, Galatians 1 and verse 10. That's not what I'm talking about. A men pleaser is going after someone's flesh. <clears throat> and at some point, I'm just telling you the truth, at some point, if you're going forward in a call and you have a specific gift in terms of even being a pastor teacher, you will be accused of being that. You just want people, you want people doing things that you think that they should do so that they please you. It's not the case. It's not the case. Okay, it just isn't. I had a woman <clears throat> and she felt led by God to pay for a radio show that we had right here in W, W, what is it, SBS or something like that. I forget what the call letters are. <laughs> it's been a while. Where I actually went there in, in, in the studio and did a live radio show. And I think we had those recorded still. It's a very interesting time. But she said she just felt lot that led to to uh, foot the whole bill. That's what she said. So I actually went with another man, went with her in her house. And I, and I know this woman, she's a sweet, sweetheart and a doll, just anyone, you know, just a very giving person, very giving, and wouldn't think anything of it. And I sat down with her, and I, I took her, God is my judge, I took her hand, looked at her, and I, I said, I'm, I'm going to ask you this, please. If you don't have complete, perfect peace and grace by God. I am asking you not to do it. Please don't do it. <laughs> That's what I said to her. I said, please don't do it. So when I mentioned yesterday in the message about everything that is a privilege for us, that's how I meant it. I didn't mean it like legalism. I didn't mean it that way at all. I didn't. I meant it in a certain way for, for, a, a, for a person's benefit. Honestly, to get them out of a place where they were, that's the only way I meant it. Literally, it's the only way I meant it. Because I saw the struggle. And I can see struggles. I see them in myself. <clears throat> not condemning somebody or accusing them for them not doing something that I felt that they should do. But the fact of where they were, that was the issue for me. I asked the woman, I said, I'm pleading with you. And I had a witness there. I said, I'm pleading with you, don't do it. She said, no, I have absolute 1,000% perfect peace. I said, okay. And then, and then we did it. Okay. We did it. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that are your guides. That's literally how it reads. They're, they're your guides. Now, if they're over you, they're going to be under. They're under shepherds. That's all anyone is. They're under shepherds, under the shepherd. John 10, 11 and 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, and under shepherds, they do too. Not just through preaching and teaching, but a lot of behind the scenes too. Watching for your souls. Praying for you. I mentioned to someone yesterday. No, it was, what is today, Tuesday? Yeah, Monday. Sunday. I mentioned something to someone after, after we had the word, and I said, you know, when you pray for somebody, when you pray for them, when you pray for them, the way that when you give yourself to prayer in Acts 6, verse 4, and, and brought out, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, there's prayers and supplications and this, you know, 
There's prayers for yourself, supplications and prayers for others, yes. But when you give yourself to prayer, what you do, what God does is he allows you to, to place yourself right where that person is. It's almost like you, you're going through just what they're going through. That's how you pray for them. And that's a really, that could be a really intense prayer. We all know that based upon our own prayers, don't we? When we really need something from God, we, we do that. We do it. And so, you, what this is saying is this, is that in Hebrews 13, 17, you can trust God for those guides that he put over you. It's not a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. You can trust God for them. And really what it's saying here, when it talks about that the, that the one, that the guide that does that has it with joy or grief, you know what that means? That, that, that God will deal with that individual <laughs> without any question about it. He will. He will deal with that individual. So it's not that we can't trust each other or for those that he's put over us. It's just we do not trust God because we don't have an understanding of this word. We just don't. Now, when you don't have a full understanding and you privately interpret a message, then you'll give counsel you should not even be giving. And it can be, it can be given by the most sweetest, well-intentioned person, but they have no right and no authority and no place to do that. None of us do out of our place. We just don't. We don't. Because that's giving a place to the devil because it's not God's order. In Ephesians 4.27, give no place to the devil for any of us. And this is, this is literally, this is literally what it's saying. You can trust God for, for these guides because he knows what he's doing. Now, wouldn't you, and so again, I want to go back Jesus is the chief shepherd. Okay, so Ecclesiastes 12, 11, These words in Ecclesiastes 12, 9 to 11, proceed, they say, so a master of assembly are the under-shepherds, if we understand Ecclesiastes 12, 9 to 11. The masters of assemblies, all they are is under-shepherds of the, of the one shepherd that proceed from one shepherd. Right? That's what they're saying there. They do. They proceed from one shepherd because he's to take many things through much study, much study under, under Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for us at this particular time. And he's to, he's to give them out. Now that one shepherd in Ecclesiastes 12, 11 is Jesus when he says about himself in John 10, 11 and 14, I am the good shepherd he always lays down his life for who? The sheep. Then he said in Hebrews, it said about him in Hebrews 13, 20, he is the great shepherd and bishop, leader, overseer of those that are his. He, he's, he is the great shepherd. And then in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he's the chief shepherd. Right? He's the chief shepherd. He is. Now, there was not one excuse for any of these men that he used for their failures. But did they fail? Did they? Did they, you guys? Did he? Okay. Did God choose them? Okay. All right. Now, is there an excuse for failure? Should we excuse it? Should we deal with it? Okay, so say, say you and I, we all sin privately, so... so like when, <clears throat> when Joe Smith sins, should he come to me? When he sins, who should he go to? Now, when someone sins against Joe Smith, who should he go to? The one that sinned against him? Who should he go to? Can't say it enough. Cannot say it enough. It would eliminate so much unrest and so much unnecessary struggle, and so much division, and so much lack of forgiveness, you wouldn't even believe it. You wouldn't even believe it. Now, Jesus is, he is the one shepherd, Ecclesiastes 12, 11. He's the good shepherd, John 10, 11, and 14. 
He's the great shepherd of the sheep in Hebrews 13, 20. And in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he's the chief shepherd. Isn't that correct? Right. Now, did he raise up, <laughs> did he raise up the Apostle Paul to not only be an apostle, but a preacher, a pastor, a teacher? Did he? Did he raise him up? Wouldn't you want him? If I had a, a pick, you know, if I said, like, out of all the human beings in the, during the ch church time, right, when the church began, which is in Acts, the second chapter, regardless of what some would say, began in Acts 9, some say Acts 13, and some say Acts 28, <laughs> and in between. <laughs> began in Acts, the second chapter. It's crystal clear in the scriptures. I would, I would pick the Apostle Paul. As much as the word poured through this man, he had to have a thorn, you know. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, in verse 7, he had to have a thorn because God gave him, Christ did, the heavenly Christ, gave him all this incredible truth. But his constant temptation was to take that truth through, and, and implement it through his flesh. He And did, did he ever... How many of us think, and I'm not, how many of us ever, do you and I think that Paul ever in his whole life, in his whole service to Christ, do you think he ever had to confess any sin to him? Do you think so? What do we think? Is he any different than us in that sense? Is he? No. He's not any different than us. He's not any different at all than any of us. At all. At all. Wouldn't you like to have him? Did you watch, watch his growth. You know, his growth is brought out in the scriptures. Because the Holy Spirit has him write about it himself. He struggled with it. You know, he struggled. And it was a temptation for him, for the enemy to cause guilt and accusation against him. You know, when we don't trust God for each other, where do we go? Not that we can't trust God. It's not that we can't trust each other. It's we don't trust God. That's what it comes down to. And then when you don't, guess what we live in? What kind of game do we play? The blame game. The blame game. That's true for any of us. That's true for any of us. So you have the Apostle Paul here. And you see him very, 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 very clearly. Listen, the best thing that we can do, the best thing that we can do when someone hurts us or offends us, whatever, we go to God first and him alone. And then we only go to that other one, period. Now, there's a process of how to do that if it's rejected. Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 15 to 18, yes. But when I don't go by that order, then what do I function in? If it's not God's order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, then what do I function in? I, I function in disorder, what is called confusion, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Now, when I, live, when I live in confusion, do I experience the life that Christ is in me and the peace that he is in me? Do I? No, why? Because I violated God's order. This is key. This is key for us. This is key. This is very, very key for us. See? I don't have to go to someone else, and I shouldn't. I shouldn't. None of us should. No. So, here, watch Paul's growth. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, he said, in verse 9, he said, I am not qualified. I'm not meat. Meat there means qualified. I am not qualified to be called an apostle. Why? Why did he, what did he say there? Because I what? I persecuted the church. That's what he said. I persecuted the church. This is, this is and a vast difference between him and Christ. You can't even, there is no distance that's known that, that could equal. But in, in terms of a fallen human being, he was the greatest teacher. There's no question about it. 
in terms of the heavenly Christ. I believe John the Apostle, beloved Apostle, in terms of those that were on the earth was the greatest, was, was the greatest teacher. Some of the truths that are brought out in his gospel. You just don't see him anyway. That's why I picked, that's why me, I picked those two if I had a choice. That's my choice. <laughs> you know? And I love John because, because even in his failures, his screw-ups, his sins, he always had a place to take them. That's why it says in, in, in John 13, 28, and then in the uh, last two chapters there, and towards the end, he laid his head on Jesus' breast. That's what it means to go. That's what it means that when we hurt, when we're hurt, when we're hurt, or when we reject it, or we hear things and we think they're against us, what should we do? Lay our head on Jesus' breast, right? Because if we don't, if we don't go to him, then we interpret others through our own thoughts. And we know where those come from, right? And are they thoughts of peace and not evil? Because <laughs> it does. Having thoughts of peace and not evil in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 has to do with God's plan. And in his plan, he's given us guides and they're not perfect. Paul, Paul, and the Holy Spirit said this about Paul. There's no qualifications in me to be a special messenger of Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. You know why? Because <laughs> I persecuted the church. I was the church's worst enemy. How would you like to have him as your pastor, teacher? <laughs> but, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he said, I labored, and there is labor in it too. I labored more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now he's growing. Watch his growth. Then now he's in Ephesians 3 and verse 8. And after giving all those truths in the first chapter, the second chapter, and now in the third chapter, now he's in the third chapter, and he cried, the heavenly Christ is giving him all this truth to himself. Whoa. And through him to others. Now through him, is he a weak, frail vessel? Yeah. Is he giving it to other weak, frail vessels that fail and sin and do all that? Yeah. And he says, I am less than the least of all the saints. That's how he viewed himself. And listen, I don't say, I, I, I don't say this in any sense of foolish pride or humility. <laughs> I am less than the least of all the saints. I think we all have to get to that point, don't we? If Paul, if God brought Paul to that place, don't you think he would bring us to that place? I am less than the least of all the saints. That's what Paul said about himself. No, God said that about him. Okay? In terms of his fleshly life, his past life, those sins that he committed, those pains, those hurts, hurting. Do you think he hurt many people? Do you think he could have done it even in his call unintentionally or through weakness or failure? I'm sure he did. Now he's at the end of his life. He's at the end of his very life. He knows it. He knows Nero's axe is coming down, gonna, and he's going to be... He, he, he looks at Nero's axe. The enemy is looking at it. It's getting rid of him. He looks at it like, when you chop my head off, my life is like a poured-out sacrifice to my precious Savior who poured that into me. That's what he was saying there in those. When he says, my... My, I've poured out my life. Second, I think it's because he's four, six, and seven around in there. But he said in, 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 fi in the finality of his old age, of learning to be content, and that's a learning process, learning to be content in whatsoever state or condition we're in, Ephesians 4.11, and not be, founding in his own, not be finding himself in his own righteousness, which is, would be the flesh, in Philippians 3, 9, but knowing him and the power of his resurrection. And then there is fellowship and suffering. And part of suffering is waiting for God and doing without or what we think. It's part of it. Because Jesus did. He hungered and thirst and fed multitudes. Did. But he said in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. He has to bring us all to that place in terms of the fleshly self-life. Because what does that do away with all that kind of thinking? What does it do away with? The blame game. 
not trying to make someone else responsible and accountable for my own failures or how I think. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's very, very interesting that way. And, uh, you know, and that's why, and partly this is my fault, and I, and I know that too, because I just, you know, in my weakness, I can miss things that I know. Right? Don't we all can do that, right? We can just, you know, we're, we forget. We know them, but we forget them. But when we meet, and I've made this mistake, and I'm not going to make it anymore. But when we meet and get together for the word, okay, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 1 Timothy 2, 11, right through 14, that when we're having that fellowship, women are to be silent. That's what it says. I didn't say it. Look at it. Look at it. Please look at it. That's what it says. Women, I don't care who they are, how sweet they are, how kind they are, how beautiful they are, and they are, and I know a bunch of them. I happen to be married to one. They're to be silent. And, she, and, and my wife, Jean, she, boy, she takes that place beautifully. She really does. She knows... Being silent when the word is being preached. We're to be silent because if not, then some counsel can come out that shouldn't. And I have made that mistake. I have made that. And, and for the protection of us all, that, that's not going to happen anymore. Because even in that sense, where it says that the woman would be silent, and if you had any questions, if you had any questions about that, you had to go home and speak to your husbands. See how personal and private it is? See? And then if a woman, no matter what the age of the woman, did not have a husband, then she can go privately to the pastor. Privately to those that are guides over her. Privately to do that. And because if we don't, then for any of us, for me too, where do we privately interpret the message of the word? Where do we do that? Any of us. We all have done it. I've done it. It's in the flesh. But that's not given that way. And that's understanding. And it's God's protecting us. He really is. So in 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, it makes it clear, 20 and 21, we're not to privately interpret the word. We're not to do that. Because some, look at. So that's why Paul even said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13, even if we abide not faithful, he abides faithful, he won't deny himself. That means that I can preach the word and maybe the word is pure, but I'm giving it in a wrong way. If the other person that's hearing that and submitted to Christ, do you think Christ can bypass that and still teach him? That's what Paul's saying in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. That's what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. I thank God. That when you receive the word, you did not receive it as the word of men, by the way. And by the way, you didn't privately interpret the message and give counsel from it. That's not to be. For any of us, that is not to be. I'm, I'm making that crystal clear today, and I believe I have, in love, the Spirit of God directing me. Because this is not what I was going to preach on this morning. I'm just telling you that's God's honest truth. It's something completely different. But that's why the Holy Spirit through Paul said to the church at Thessalonia and in the city of Thessaloniki, and that's the proper Greek pronunciation, but it's not Thessalonica. <laughs> he said, I thank God that when you heard the word of God, that means coming face to face and hearing preaching, that when you received it, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Listen, the word of God that works effectually in you when you believe. In other words, when you don't resist it. When you do not resist it. This is crystal clear. Because otherwise, that forms, in, in any local assembly, party spirits. Private fellowships. Private counseling. Private, private. And this is true for all of us. So I'm saying this, and I'm saying it very, very clearly. Listen, 
if, if, if I offend or hurt anybody, I'm, I'm, I'm counseling you like I should do, right? Because if we don't go to God with our hurts, what do we do? What do they do to us? You tell me. Huh? What do they do? What do they do? Yeah. And what does bitter mean? I get hard. And when I don't dare direct the anger towards the individual, or they're not there to do it, I still have it, and it turns inward and makes me very hard towards them. And do I any longer receive the word? Do I? So then I think I gotta go somewhere else. I think I gotta get other counsel. And it's wrong. If I hurt or offend someone, my counsel to you, love, loving you and covering you and protecting you in his love, is go to him first and then come to me. And you watch how I'll deal with it. Now I'll tell you how we'll deal. We'll just, we'll just even get on our knees. If we can't, some of us can't. We'll just, but we will pray and pour our hearts out to God. Let's keep, let's keep a, for all of us, let's keep a clean vessel for, for Christ to occupy. This is very, 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 very good and very, very pointed, strong, loving, protecting counsel to all of us. And this is literally, not just for us in the circumstances that we're in, but this is the teaching of the Word of God. It, it, it just is. It just is. And uh, again, my, who would my favorites be? My two favorites, if I had my pick? Well, as, as far as earthly teaching, and by the way, there are, they are ours, by the way. Did you know that? They are. You want to know what Jesus was like? His very character, his nature and essence brought out like no one else has done it while he walked the earth? That's the Apostle John. That's right. You know who they were, right? Who were they? James and John. They had violent tempers. And that was their constant, their constant temptation. But when they were, when they were hurt, when they were rejected or hurt, perceived or otherwise, they would go back to that. Sons of, it might not be outward, might not be verbal. <laughs> but what did John do with that? Where did he go? And he laid his head on Jesus' breast and he heard every heartbeat that said, hey, I love you. I understand. That's what he did. That's why, that's why we need to go to him. Then in that, then with love, not with anger now anymore, we go to those. And that's Galatians 6, 1 to 4. We bear one another's burdens. And did you know that when someone rejects us or hurts us, right? That can be a beautiful burden that God gave us to lead us to him to get filled up with his love, to lead us right back to the one that did it and approach them in love. Because we can, listen, we either approach each other in all of our relationships, in our thought life, either in the flesh, and I was going to teach about it, and I'll teach about it maybe tomorrow night. There's one or two yokes that we have. There's the yoke of the flesh under Satan, and there's the yoke of Jesus. There is, and we need to be very careful about which one is counseling us. Because someone can counsel us very ignorant of everything about it. And that's why we need to stay in our place. That's why we need to stay in our place. And that's why we only need to ask certain people if they have certain comments or questions. That's why we need to do that. But when we get together, when we get together with the word, when we get together with the word, okay, it's to be in a proper place. That proper place is brought out in First Corinthians, the fourteenth chapter, and that proper place is brought out in Second in First Timothy, the second chapter. That's where it's brought out. 
And not that we can't go to others and be encouraged and loved. But if, if someone came to me, honestly, if someone came to me and said, you know what, Ed, so-and-so did this to me and it hurt me badly, I'd say, stop right there, stop, stop, stop. Here's my, my counsel, go to God. Go to him, please, go to him. And there's plenty we can go to him about in the scriptures. Go to him. Please go, go to him. And then go to when and then once you go to him with an entreatable, submitted heart, don't go to him in, in James 4, 6, and 1 Peter 5, 6. Don't go in pride. Go to him with an entreatable spirit, and you watch what he will do. He will alleviate that burden of that hurt or that rejection in an instant with his love. He just will. And then in his love, he can turn you right around and love them. Isn't that amazing? That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. It's not that we're not, again, I've said it before. Listen, if you don't want God to deal with failure, if you only want him to deal with failure in your own personal life, stay single. Stay single. But if you want him to bring it out in the most beautiful way, if he calls you to be married, boy, that's when he's going to do it. That's the most intimate relationship. Yokes. We're going to talk about that. Yoke. When the Pharisees were tempting Jesus, and I'm going to close with it, they were tempting him with the word, trying to take the word to tempt Jesus, God and humanity, and saying, you know, Moses said we could divorce you, know, you got an issue? You have an issue with your loved one? You, you can divorce them. You can. And you can divorce them experientially. In your heart, you can, well, you know, you know, I love her, but you know, right now, I don't want anything to do with her. She really bothered me. She made me very angry and upset. <laughs> That's the most intimate relationship. That's where those truths are brought out. Should you get divorced? Should you live separated? Is there any life in separation that way? Experiential life? None. None whatsoever. None. And how you live your life, and I live my life in the home with my wife, how I'm going to live it with others. That's the truth of the matter. That's just the truth of the matter. It is. And it keeps everything flowing beautifully. But the only reason that Jesus said that Moses taught that because that was under a legal covenant in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And Jesus was bringing those truths out in Matthew the 19th chapter in verses 1 through 8 and the result of verse 9. He said, you know why he did that? Because of the hardness of your heart. Because of the hardness of your heart, I allow, it was allowed under the legal covenant in the flesh to have a separation or a divorce. And we can come that way even when we hear the word. It's not very good. I don't recommend it for myself or for others. If I have an issue, you have an issue with, with whatever it is. Listen, when you have an issue in your own life, who do you go to? And me, me to tell me in any relationship it's not the same issue? And it is. And all he wants us to do is to receive his love for us and then go out and lay down our lives for others. Even them that we think are our enemies. That's Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Yeah. Because it's love that protects us and cleans it. Jesus swept away every excuse. He's the light and the light sweeps away every single excuse. The light of the, of the purity of God's nature through the energy of God's active nature and its love. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. And